Welcome one, welcome all to the M60 podcast. I am your host, John Waltz, recording in the now dark Franklin, Tennessee, here in the week of Christmas of 2020. It is uh, December 22nd at the time of this recording. And just from me to you and the listening audience, Merry Christmas, Happy New Year. Hopefully you will have some time to, to spend some time with family and relax and recharge over what's been a really trying year for for everyone. But I'm really excited about this episode here today. This man uh, has been a huge influence in my life, and you'll soon hear why he is a, oh gosh, he's done a lot of, he's done a little bit of everything since I've, uh, since I've known him, and I've known him uh, my whole life. So uh, without further ado, he is a published author, a retired member of the U.S. Navy, and Oh gosh, a pretty much jack of all trades. He is my father and my best friend, Randy Waltz. Dad, thanks so much for for joining me on the show. I really you're welcome. To appreciate it. And uh, before we get into the first question, um, just um, I, I had planned on doing this in person, but uh, through the magic of Zoom, thankfully this this app has taken off this year, and we're able to to do this over uh, over a few hundred miles here. So just some unforeseen circumstances kind of kept us apart this holiday season, but uh, but I'm sure we'll have a, have a great conversation. And I know uh, um, dad, my dad's one of my uh, major influences in my life. So we'll, uh, we'll have some good conversation here going. So um, dad, first question that I ask every guest on the M60 podcast, and, and you are no different. Um, what is your take on what it means to be a man in the Western world in the 21st century? Well, <clears throat> excuse me. I, uh, I, I think it, uh, it should be uh, a person who has strong leadership, uh, a person who has strong moral values, and I think uh, if you don't see any of those, then uh, you, you've really lost the focus and you probably need to regain because uh, things happen so fast in our society anymore. Uh, I mean, I was born in 1950, so I've seen everything long before the uh, uh, today's fast paced world. And uh, back then things would happen and you wouldn't, you wouldn't know about it except for a little blip in a, in a newspaper or a half a sentence on a radio program. And I think it, uh, today you have to be a lot more focused on who you are, what you are, what you believe in and how you should lead a, uh, uh, a life of morality. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's true, and especially in this day and age, like like you were saying, anybody can get out their smartphone and 
record you and and film you out of context and it'll be halfway around the world in almost literally five minutes so that that's definitely just making sure that you're focused on on your morals and being an upstanding person at all times i think that's that's definitely um i think that that definitely falls into what what it means to be a, a good man and what it means to um you know to to be of that that fine moral character in 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 the day this day and age and it's it's so much harder especially because even it feels like even more now than when i was younger that um immorality can be can be kind of glorified too yeah that's <clears throat> that's very true and it, it, you you really have to have a very good focus on who you are and what you stand for and from time to time, you've got to sit down and think about that. Maybe you need to make some changes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And um, talk about a couple times in 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 your life where where maybe you've you've had to do that, um, whether it was before before I came along or while I was still a young a young kid or even maybe even in, in some instances where I, I had um, begun my own adulthood and my own journey into manhood? Well, one thing, <clears throat> as a business manager over the years, uh, I constantly had to change, uh, not necessarily my values, but uh, the way I thought about things and the way I, I saw things. And it... Uh, what what you looked at 10 years into it wasn't what it was 20 years into it as far as uh, employing employees. Uh, I, I don't know. I guess uh, overseas, uh, when I was in the Navy, I sat down several times and, uh, and just thought about it and uh, thought about who it is I wanted to be and, and if I had children, uh, how I would bring them up and who I would be to them. And uh, that's, that's kind of the way, uh, way I've been over the years. I, I, I listen to what people tell me and uh, especially strong input from your mom. Mm-hmm uh has kept me uh on an even course over the years okay yeah yeah i would and uh and she does have strong input she does have strong input i can uh i can attest to that <laughs> um so let's um this this podcast is um it's it's designed to kind of explore masculinity in in this day and age and kind of show what it really means to be a man in, in the 21st century and how how that's kind of evolved and in some ways stayed the same i've i've gotten a common answer through from from a few of my guests in uh, in pre- previous episodes and i kind of want to get your take on it a lot a lot of it kind of comes back to being a protector and a provider too. Would you agree that that's definitely part of the, uh, the role of the masculine, uh, um, journey in, in this day and age? Well, it is, but there's so much more to it, I think, than that. Uh, uh, 
the type of person the man was in 1952 is definitely not what it's going to be in 2022. Uh, people back then uh, were just uh, the man was always right and he uh, he didn't he didn't look at other individuals especially sometimes their wives or or other women he looked down on them uh, uh, today we've changed our masculinity to uh, to encompass uh, a world that uh, is not only multiple religions, but uh, uh, is evolving into some something that would um, uh, accept everyone of every color and race. Uh, and I think there's, there's more masculinity in that than, uh, than being a gung-ho John Wayne over the hill type of person. Mm -hmm. uh, sometimes uh, it can be it can be tough, and uh, you have to learn to at times to bite your tongue and and just keep on going and plugging away. Yeah, yeah, yeah. A lot of that's been programmed into into our society as as far as being, you know, the the loner or the the like you said gung-ho john wayne he's he's lifted up as as a masculine icon here in in western society and and even in this day and age that doesn't always that doesn't always work um i, I always think about one of the the habits of highly effective people kind of comes to mind is that seek first to understand and then be understood and i think now that I think in this day and age, kind of what you were, what you were saying with, with so many different and diverse viewpoints coming into, coming into play that you've got to, while the other person's or the other group's viewpoint may or may not be correct for that certain situation, you still got to understand where they're coming from and what their, what their thoughts are and, and why they are, why they're thinking that way. Yeah, that's, uh, that's all very true. Uh, Little little side note here. Uh, I actually met John Wayne once. Oh, really? Yeah, when I was in California in Long Beach, and okay. I was in uniform at the time, and I don't remember why. I went off base to a to a drugstore, and I was walking down the aisle, and I had my uniform on, and of course you could tell that I was uh, medical personnel in the Navy. Mm -hmm. and I hear this guy yell out, "Hey, Doc, come here." <laughs> I turned around and it was John Wayne down at the end, and he said, "I got a terrible headache. Which kind of aspirin should I take? I'm confused." <laughs> so I shook his hand and we talked about it a little bit, and I told him the differences in some of the aspirin. And uh, yeah, yeah. Do you remember what he went with? I think Bayer, which is yeah. what I recommended because it was easier on the stomach and it was absorbed quicker hmm. than mm -hmm. a lot of them. Yeah, and not to buy the cheap brand, and uh, he thanked me and patted me on the shoulder, and off we went from there. That's so. neat. I don't think you've ever told me that story. That's oh yeah. I don't. Uh, I don't remember it. If you have, I mean, <laughs> I remember several of several of your stories. I think uh, we'll we'll get we'll get to a couple of them. But uh, <laughs> so so um, kind of talking about um, 
key key masculine figures in in your own life. Let talk to us, uh, the audience, a, a little bit about some of the uh, the key uh, the strong male figures that have influenced your life and have, and have uh, maybe that are that are still influencing you today. And um, just who some of the men in your life that you've you've looked up to and, and admired. Well, I, I guess I have to go back to the time I was in the service. Uh, uh, I kind of went in the service to straighten my life out, and it, it actually did. I was able to straighten my life out. And I, I come out of the military a completely different person with a whole different outlook on life and how you should live it and how you should be. And I, I got that from several people, but the, the first one that comes to mind was a Marine Corps major. His last name was Pate, P-A-T-E. And he was only about five foot three. But I want to tell you, that was the toughest guy I ever met in my life. Uh, I can remember one night when they had a, a big fight going on at the enlisted men's club that he said, I'll by God stop this. And he grabbed a an axe handle and went out the door <laughs> and cleared the place personally himself. It was over. And, uh, he had a lot of strong moral values and, and, uh, I listened to what he had to say a lot over the years. And, and, uh, I, I watched and learned and how he approached things and tried to, to place myself, uh, in that kind of mold. Um, I'm trying to think back and it got quite a few, which ones would stick out the most that, um, uh, well, I had a, uh, I had a boss when I was 19 and his name was Jim Carrey mm -hmm. and, uh, he was a huge influence on my life. As a matter of fact, my mom and dad said that I had actually turned into him and I, I really had, hmm. he was a very hard working guy. He wouldn't, he wouldn't think anything about working 80 hours a week if he had to. And, uh, he worked hard. He worked smart. He was intelligent. Uh, I never heard him uh, utter a cuss word in the two years I worked with him. Uh, he was just a, a fine gentleman and, uh, uh, he, he never lied. Uh, whatever he told me, I knew it was the truth. And uh, so that was a, another positive influence, I guess, in my life. Uh, the last one would be, and I dedicated my, my last book to him, was Bob Lindquist. He was one of my teachers in high school. Mm -hmm. And he taught shop and mathematics and uh, he always saw in me things that I didn't know I had that I found out later in life. And I thought back and it's like, you know, Bob told me all that and I didn't listen to him. He told me one time I could be anything I wanted to be if I just put my mind to it. Mm -hmm. And uh, I, I just kind of blew that off, you know, as was, and, and he would get discouraged with me. If, if I didn't uh, live up to what he thought I should be doing as far as schoolwork and, and uh, 
he was he was a great man. He was my basketball coach in in uh, middle school. Uh, he had polio as a boy, so he had a bad limp, but he could still get out there and play basketball with the kids. Mm-hmm. And uh, so I, I guess uh, we just talk about those three people there and and uh, and leave it at that. Yeah. Yeah, no, those are those are great examples. That, uh, um, yeah, and I, I do remember you you dedicating your 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 book last book to him. Um, we'll we'll actually talk a little bit about um, you being a published author and your, your own writing experiences here in the in the next segment. Um, kind of once we get through these more general questions about about uh, masculinity and manhood, but um, you. Uh, you've, you've lived, you've lived a life full of, um, a lot of, a lot of different experiences. And, and, um, to me, you're, you're well-traveled because of your experience in the, in the Navy. And, um, you've, we, you've done a lot of things, you've done a lot of things in your life. Um, and so, and you've met a lot of different people, uh, over the course of your life. And like you said, you were, born you, you turned uh, 70 this past august so you've definitely got uh, definitely got some gray hair and definitely got some wisdom to to, to go along with it so um it c- kind of goes it rolls back into the first question but uh, what are some more characteristics that uh, that you see that would make someone a good man somebody would uh, that would have a uh, uh a broad sense of not only themselves, but their surroundings. Uh, Someone who looks to societies or civilizations and and says to themselves, uh, you know, this is different than what I thought it was. And I see a reason here for this. Uh, uh, It would be uh, someone who uh, who knew how to love and had loved, uh, you can carry that on in life quite a ways. Uh, I mean, I don't know. It's it's uh, it's tough to say in today's society what triggers somebody, and. Uh, we have so much contention out there right now between between people that we've never had before. And uh, I, I think even though it's a bad thing now, it's propelling us into a good way. And, and I think as an uh, average person sits down and looks at it, they will change their, their viewpoints and uh, it, it should help them readjust their moral compass. Yeah. Yeah. There's, there's definitely a better way to live than, than the way a lot of us have been living. There's, and there's just so much, there's just so much kind of coming against us in, in the world today that, that it's no wonder we're, we're snapping at each other. Um, It's just everywhere you turn, there's, there's some type of there's some type of negativity and there's some type of salaciousness that's competing for your attention. And, and you just pile that on and pile that on. And, and it's, um, so yeah, definitely, definitely having a, a broad sense of yourself and, and kind of going back to that first 
topic, that first point that, um, that habit of effective people is just seeking to understand. And then for you to be understood is, uh, is definitely a key to that. Um, so let's, uh, let's change gears here a little bit. I, I know, um, as I, as I said in the beginning, I've, I've known you my whole life. Um, so, um, you've, you've raised me and, and my old, my older sister. Um, so, so raising children is, uh, is definitely a challenging and rewarding undertaking. And, um, just kind of talk to the audience about what, uh, what your experience was like raising me and raising, raising my sister and, and some of the, talk about some of the, uh, the rewarding days and the tough days and, and kind of what, uh, what you've learned over, uh, over the course of our lives from that. Well, you two, uh, <clears throat> were not that hard to bring up. And, and I always went with the, uh, thing I wanted you to instill in you that I can tell you, no, don't do that. But if you do it and you get hurt, I'll be there to help you up mm -hmm. and you need to learn from the consequences that, that you, uh, I don't know if there was any really bad days that I can think of. And it was always a joy to come home to, to two children. And uh, I mean, we did a lot of things together, spent a lot of time. Mm -hmm. um, I, I cherish a lot of those. I, I think back about those, those years when we played uh, golf at, at Turtle Creek and we would go out late in the evening and play. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, in the middle of the summer and, and that was, that was just like magic to me. It just, uh, you know, we, we talked and we had fun and, and, uh, it, it just, uh, was a good thing. And then uh, Candace, I mean, it, one of the things she always liked to do was to go fishing. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, uh, she and I did, uh, some of that, not as much as I wanted to, it didn't seem to always work out, but, uh, uh, I, I tried to always be there and, and support her in athletics as much as I supported you. I mean, I was there for her softball games and uh, I always went and watched. And uh, I, uh, I impressed upon her to, to learn to play a musical instrument and she did very well, as did you. And yeah, uh, my moments, yeah. yeah. I think... Uh, I, I just, I just think, uh, I can't remember too much trouble, uh, with any of you. And I wouldn't say when you were in trouble, it was a dark day. It was just a bump. Yeah. yeah. Um, well, that's kind of one of the things that I, um, uh, I never, I, I always feared getting in trouble not so much because not so much because the you know I'd, I'd be not so much for the repercussions with the teacher or principal or whatever but just because um i would have let you and mom down and i think that's something that um through 
you know, the way that you guys loved me, that was, um, that was, that was what kind of hurt, hurt more when, when I did mess up. Um, but, uh, but yeah, it just having a, you know, a, a strong, a strong male figure like you in my life has been, has been such a blessing. And I, I know that there are so many men out there now that, that I've come to meet that didn't necessarily have a strong relationship with their, with their father. And I just have come to realize what a, what a blessing that was growing up just to have your, your love and support. Well, thank you. Um, but that, uh, that kind of brings us into our, uh, the, the end of our first segment of questions here, we kind of talked a little bit about manhood and, and the masculine journey and kind of what, what it means to be a good man here. So next segment, we're going to kind of get into a, a few other different life stories here. Um, talk a little bit about some experiences that you and I had, uh, while I was growing up and, uh, I'm sure we'll have, uh, I'm sure we'll have a good time and we'll have, uh, We'll have a few uh, we'll have a few laughs along the way, and we'll uh, we'll talk about that here right after this. This is the M60 podcast. So we're getting into the fall and the winter months here in North America. And if you're like me and you love to go out on the golf course and make new friends and strengthen your bond with existing friends, that's getting harder and harder to do with the weather coming at a premium and with daylight also coming at a premium. So what can we do to grow ourselves in the game of golf? Well, we can be like everybody else. We can watch certain YouTube channels and instructional videos and act like we're getting good information. We can follow certain accounts on Instagram that really don't do anything to apply to us. We can peruse Golf Galaxy till the cows come home. Or what you can do is you can become a student of the game of golf. One of the best publications to help you do that is my friend Scott Hassey's book that's entitled The Champion's Playbook, Thinking Your Way to Lower Scores. In this book, Scott's going to run you through seven courses about how you can enhance your course strategy, everything from what you believe, understanding the architect, developing your plan, mind control, and developing your instincts, and a whole lot more. Scott also produces a podcast here in Franklin, Tennessee called the Champions Playbook Podcast. I'll have links for both of those in the show notes below. So click on that link in the show notes. Or you can come on down to Franklin Bridge Golf Club if you're here in Franklin, Tennessee, and pick up a copy of Scott's book, The Champion's Playbook, Thinking Your Way to Lower Scores. Also check out his podcast, The Champion's Playbook Podcast, featuring episode 13's guest, Jack Beard. Links for the podcast and his book are in the show notes.
Hey, if you are interested in supporting the M60 podcast, check out my link tree in the show notes. It'll have links to my social media pages on Facebook and Instagram, and it'll also have a link to my Patreon site with great bonus material. Now, back to the show. Welcome back to the M60 Podcast. I am your host, John Waltz, recording here in Franklin, Tennessee. And this is a very special episode. This is episode number 20. But not only is it the 20th full episode that I've done, but uh, I have a very special guest joining me, my dad, Randy Waltz, joining me from the high plains of western Kansas. And uh, we kind of went through some... um, experiences in the masculine journey talked a little bit about fatherhood and talked a little about a bit about your uh, your life growing up as a man so we're going to kind of switch gears a little bit and talk to talk about you a little bit more the the individual and some of the experiences that uh, that you and I have have shared together um, so you've you've done a lot of things here uh, a little later in your life especially since uh, since I've graduated college and kind of gone off on my own you've you're uh, you're a published author uh, you've been involved in uh, some pretty at least for the state of Michigan some high profile paranormal investigations um, and you've traveled to different parts of the country doing civil war reenacting uh, you even Helped my alma mater, Tri-State University, recruit some uh, some good football players, and uh, so now you're doing a little bit of um, your own uh, freelance research and writing. Um, so just kind of go over each each aspect, each thing that we were kind of talking about there, and just what your experiences were like, and and what uh, what drew you to it, and and uh, what uh, what you're working on now. Well, I guess. Uh... Dale Carson and Bob Fry drew me into the football side of it. Uh, Bob would call me and say, come down and look at this quarterback I got. He can't throw that ball for shit. You know, and I'd go down to the practice and I'd watch and I'd say, well, he's clumsy as hell. He needs to take some kind of dance class or something to get a little, a little more that this was after you. Right. Yeah. And, uh, uh, they did and and he uh he worked out really well he uh he became pretty good he just he just couldn't throw because he he was always on the wrong foot no matter what he did and uh it was like he just needed to get coordinated he was a big gangly boy and uh, i don't know the uh the research uh, that i do today i do historical research and archaeological research i mean every month i get six different magazines that have or periodicals if you want to call them some of them are really not magazines uh, that deal with archaeology and i've uh, in the latter years here become very interested in archaeology and and uh, I, I research things the other night uh, watching a uh, a show about uh, king arthur and by the way nobody's they're, they're leaning more and more and more towards the fact that he was a real individual but the stories were just blown way out of proportion right yeah. and uh they, they talked about one thing that that uh, clicked in my mind right away that 
there was no knights in shining armor back in the days of King Arthur. Uh, he existed right after the Romans had left England in about mm, the year okay. 500. And uh, it just, see, I got to thinking, it's like, okay, the Romans were in trouble. Uh, they were being invaded on, on all sides uh, in Europe and having a hard time holding their territories. And, and uh, of course, uh, they had to put up with Hannibal for, almost three years in Italy as he just ran around and ripped the, the state apart and they couldn't seem to stop him. And I thought, well, when these Romans pulled out, nobody's ever discussed this. Uh, how do we know that they didn't leave armor behind? And maybe mm -hmm. it was scooped up and used and maybe there was some validity to that, uh, that particular thing. Uh, I was always uh, also enthused with the Sorcerer's Stone, where they pulled the sword out. And of course, I always laughed and thought, well, that was just mythology. Right, yeah. Until uh, I watched an archaeologist one night on TV who showed how they made stone, uh, how they made swords in the Stone Age, Iron Age, mm -hmm. Bronze Age. Uh, they they uh, would take stones and uh, cleave them in half and they would uh, they would grind out the center in the shape of the sword then they would put the rocks back together and they would pull pour the hot molten bronze down in the stone and mm -hmm. i'm thinking mm -hmm. now wait a minute here maybe they got a sword stuck in one of those stones that nobody could pull out Mm -hmm. You know, and that's that's where that story came from. So I'm, I'm constantly looking at things that pop up in front of me and uh, I'm working on something out here right now uh, was uh, a thing called White Woman Creek. Uh, it's uh, a story that's been around a long time in Western Kansas mm -hmm. uh, about a woman who was captured by the Indians and there's four or five different stories and I'm not going to tell any of them because I can't tell you which one's true if any of them are but there's got to be truth and validity and I'm I'm getting ready to go back into the files of Fort Wallace and uh, I have quite a bit of their day-to-day -day logs believe it or not on my hmm. computer okay I'm going to go back in and look and see if there was anything written about this, this woman or, or woman like her mm -hmm. and uh, maybe decide uh, which of the stories are, are uh, which story is true out of the four or five. Okay. Yeah. So, you know, it's things like that. I like to do here now that I'm retired, of course, at my age, I'm not as mobile as I used to be. So. I don't, I don't get out and about and walk as much as I used to and gather things up. Although your sister and I have cooked up a couple things that we may do next summer. So uh, oh, good, good. I always wanted to take a stagecoach ride and I talked her into it. So we're going to okay. go over somewhere around Fort Hayes and get on a stagecoach and come all the way to Fort Wallace and then back home. So, uh, that that may be a lot of fun that does sound like fun well i might have to uh since 
since I wasn't able to use any vacation time over Christmas, I might uh, might come out and join you for that, depending on what time. Well, I I won't have any dates for a couple months on it. Yeah, yeah. And of course, sense. this pandemic has got to die down, and yeah, yeah, they won't they won't do it. I'm sure uh, if it's not. Yeah. And uh, so I'll, I'll get in touch with you. I'll let you know at some point when I get the dates. And uh, yeah, yeah. That, yeah. You know, you and I don't get to do a lot together anymore just because, you know, life is life is what it is. And I'm all the way out here in Nashville and you're you're in uh, the you're in the high on the high plains there. And um, that was one of one of our probably the last thing that you and i got to do together that was uh any kind of an adventure like that was when we went to uh mesa verde national park that was uh that was a lot of fun oh yeah yeah that was yeah. unique yeah, yeah that was and I, I wouldn't mind going back there and there's a couple other sites not far from her to look at and i wouldn't mind going looking at some of those so uh, but yeah. we did do some things together i mean we uh we did a reenactment together. Yeah, yeah. I'll talk uh, talk a little bit about how you got into that and what uh, what drew you into that. That was um, that that was an interesting experience. I wasn't planning on doing that that weekend that we uh, that we did that, but uh, it turned out to be turned out to be a pretty interesting experience for me. Well, I didn't know you were going to get hijacked that day until you got there. I yeah. think they had planned already. So. Uh... But uh, yeah, yeah, we uh, we did a reenactment of the Battle of Chickamauga, and uh, we were the the Michigan uh, artillery, which was very prominent in that battle. Which actually the the uh, Michigan militia and the Michigan artillery were able to hold off the uh, the Southern soldiers long enough for. Uh, the small core of Union soldiers that were there to get back across the creek at Chickamauga and not get massacred in place. And uh, that, that guy that was, uh, his name was Thomas, mm -hmm. and he was known as the Rock of Chickamauga because okay. they couldn't break the line no matter what they did. And if you'll remember, as we reenacted that day, we did something that we had never, ever done before with those cannons. Of course, it wasn't live fire, but we were firing powder canisters. It was mm -hmm. quite loud, and uh, people had to keep 50 to 60 feet distance from it. And the, the uh, southern soldiers that were attacking us knew that. And we rolled the cannons right up to the breastwork where the infantry was, mm -hmm. embedded them, and then fired just like they would have been back in those days at point blank range. And if you'll remember, uh, Discovery Channel had drones flying around taking movies of this. Oh, okay. Yeah, I, I didn't remember that. That was, um, I remember we got rained out the, the first day and then the second oh, day, yeah. I remember. And I remember I, I wound up wearing uh, some shoes that didn't fit me very well on my feet. <laughs> my feet hurt pretty badly at the end of the day, but. Yeah, I know the guys stuck you away in the back so you didn't have to walk very much. <laughs> yeah, there yeah that was bad. Yeah. Yeah, that's too bad. Uh, but anyway, uh, I mean, that was some good times. Uh, other good times that we had together were, were all the times that you played in golf tournaments. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, it was probably more special for me than it was for you because you always were 
kind of disgusted with yourself that you didn't do better. Yeah. And I yeah. always thought that that the fact that you had that attitude was why you weren't playing as well as you could. And yeah, there was times that you had some bad breaks too. I remember when you you teed off and hit a perfect drive longer than anybody else and and it caught a twig on a tree and just shot to the left way way out of range where yeah, <laughs> you had yeah. no you had no hope you know yeah. it's like i i know it, that, that that things like that uh, but it's things like that that i've tried to teach in life that uh, uh, you have to have perseverance and uh, bad things happen to people all the time it's not necessarily a bad thing it's how you do the next thing and they tell you that in golf Right. You hit a bad yeah. shot. That's no big deal. It's how well you hit the next shot mm -hmm. that counts. And and life is that way too, yeah. I think. Oh yeah. Yeah. That's uh I, I came up with a phrase this 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 year and uh um that golf and life are both four letter words and that ought to tell you all you need to know about both. Um just kind of did that just kind of trying to make a joke, but I mean golf is is definitely and and sport really is just kind of a a perfect metaphor for life that you'll you'll face adversity from from that and right. and it just depends on on how well you recover so um, well, i think you i think you took away a lot of good lessons by playing football all those years yeah, yeah. high school and college and and uh uh you it was it taught you to be a lot tougher person than you were when you started and uh there was there was some change in your personality in high school but uh, it's like i tell you there's a switch there and remember i used to tell you you got to flip that switch off when you walk off the field yeah, yeah. you can't be a football player 24 7 and you know, and there was times that, uh, I know you got mad and you were disgusted. And, yeah. Yeah. Uh, so that still happens sometimes on the golf course, that old football player in me comes out and, um, it's, uh, I don't know, kind of getting into, into sport a little bit. I, I really, uh, attribute my love of, of sports, not just, not just, uh, golf, but, you know, football and, and baseball, and even a little bit, I kind of attribute my, uh, my, my love of hockey to you and talk about, um, what, it, what is it, what it is about sport that can kind of, that can bring a father and son closer to each other. Well, that's a, that's a good question. And if, uh, First of all, as a father, you have to let the son compete and close your yap on the sideline, like I told some fathers a few times. Uh, let him do the best that he can and support him and congratulate him after every game, even if they've lost. Uh, you played well, you did the best you could, and that teaches you in life. Uh, a father and son a father should bring to it that just because you lose it's not a bad thing it's not the ultimate thing but then again just because you win is not necessarily a good thing 
and it's not shouldn't be the ultimate thing and to too many people it is right yeah they yeah. turn sports into that and it's it's really hard on on young kids when parents do that mm -hmm. uh, i of course we had them when we played baseball i mean i was your your little league coach yeah and yeah. you remember one rule I had, I always told the parents and the kids, anytime you don't like it, I'll refund your money and you can go home. Yep. But I'm not going to stand here and listen to it. So shut up. Let your kid play. Yeah. 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 That's, um, and I saw so much of that too. And in, when I worked in, in junior golf too, this, how even pre how prevalent it was, in that that just so many parents just try and live vicariously through their children because they've got a little bit more talent than than they did and they think part of them thinks well you know this is you know i i might not have made the the big i may not have made the big leagues but you know maybe maybe my son can if i and you know that that uh that's still prevalent in, in, in our society. And I think it'll probably, probably will be for a long time. And it's, it's unfortunate, but it's just something that we've got to, especially as fathers, we've just got to, I feel like we we've got to introduce them to the game and introduce them to, you know, whatever game it is, whether it is baseball or football or, or golf, but introduce the, introduce them to that and then kind of give them their own, um, let them take their own path in it. Right. Uh, that's one of the reasons that I got out of the, uh, got out of football and, uh, uh, trying to do scouting for the college. Uh, everybody thinks their son is, uh, Eli Manning or, you know, yeah. even though, and this kid can't wipe his nose with his shirt, correct? <laughs> right, yeah, yeah. Like, yeah, come on. And yeah. Of course, he, the, the first thing that they ask when you talk about a, a kid going to uh, to college and playing football is how much are they going to pay me? Yeah. They come up mm -hmm. every time, mm -hmm. you know. Yeah. Uh, it just it, – it got so bad that I couldn't even – pull out a tablet and make notes mm, uh, yeah. a couple times i wore a, a poncho and i would get down under the poncho and i would just talk into a, a recorder so nobody knew what i was doing <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> i can see you doing that too that's uh that's that's not that far-fetched uh... well i i did that one night at, at sturgis it was a most god-awful night for football that you can imagine mm -hmm. uh, the whole game was nothing but sleep oh okay yeah and i did i i hunkered down inside my poncho where it was dry and warm and watched the game from in there and did that but uh i did it other times too it just uh, and as you know i went to a lot of places mm -hmm. yeah uh, yeah, I was I was really happy when um, while you were doing that, I could tell how much you you enjoyed that and, and and really how much it was was helping helping the football program at Tri State at the time because we 
we were kind of going through some some lean years there in that uh, mm-hmm. those first mm-hmm. few years after Coach Carlson was that uh, had left and and um, well, I have to, I have to say this, patting myself on the back. The last year, the seniors in college that I had brought in as freshmen went undefeated that season. That's right. Yeah, I, I remember. And that, that. was yeah. that was one of the most. And I could walk down there on that field, and those kids knew me. They would come over and hug me and talk to me, and they they looked up to me, you know, and they would ask questions and. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was just a great group of boys that I put together from nowhere out of nothing, really. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I went to some really small schools where, you know, you had to wonder whether they could spell football or not. So. <laughs> right, yeah, yeah, yeah. And especially in that part of the country, too. I mean, there's just – there's in these in those smaller towns kids kind of get forgotten about and yeah they do and and there can be some good kids on some of those uh good players and of course nobody's never going to hear about them you can be a good player on a lousy team and never win a game and there's not going to be any press on you yeah well that was part of the problem that that i faced and and some of the better players behind me faced was that our, our high school just didn't have that, that good of a rec, you know, didn't have that good of a record. And, and, you know, right. here we are in a little, little town of 700 people. There's, you know, and I mean, the only time, only time we got any exposure was when, uh, you know, WOTV decided to stop uh, between when they were going between Marshall and Coldwater, you know, it was like, Oh yeah, it's a conscious at home tonight. We probably ought to go say hi, you know? Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. Gee, thanks. Um, but uh, yeah, so, so that and, and I, you know, that I could tell that that was something that you were, were really, really proud of. To, well, I was that. very, very proud that I helped. I think individuals who may not have ever attended college get an education. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah, they probably wouldn't have thought of going on to to any type of a university setting probably just you know maybe stayed in the town they were in or or gone to community college or something and not actually gotten a four-year degree so yeah that's right that's definitely something that uh definitely a feather you can uh, you can put in your cap um kind of switching gears here one thing that i that i do want to talk about um something that that you and i did together uh it's it's one of it's one of my most cherished memories um it was in the summer of 2001 where we went to a, uh, a Cubs game at Wrigley field. And that's one thing that I got from you was, was being a Cubs fan. So um, now that they've actually won a world series here recently, I can, you know, it, that, that's not as quite a, a, quite a painful thing, but for a while it was, uh, it was pretty interesting. It was pretty interesting. And, and uh, we were, we were long suffering together, but uh, um I still have the I have the picture on my wall here of uh, you and our, our family friend Wally Schaefer at Wrigley Field in the time you caught a home run ball from Fred McGriff. So uh, tell us a little bit about your uh, your version of that story, and, and I'll uh, I'll fill in the blanks as uh, as you go along there. Well, one of the one of the big things I remember is some boy next to me decided that he was going to catch the ball in his baseball cap. 
Yeah. And I couldn't see where it was coming. I, I knew it was there somewhere and it, it just <laughs> zipped by my shoulder. And uh, of course it was a grand slam home run. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, I was lucky enough to get uh, uh, a ball signed by Fred McGriff. I, Cause I offered that to give that to him if it meant anything. And he uh, had, had written me and told me, no, never mind. And, and he had given me a ball from the all-star game that year and signed it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, yeah. and I still got that in a box in here. That was, that was a very special thing. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, it, it was just, we were in there. Wally and I, and you walked in and, and you said, where do we set? Of course, we were in the uh, right field bleachers. Mm -hmm. yep. And Wally said, wherever you want to go, you know, just go and sit down. So you picked the spot and we sit down there. And yeah, I, don't we know, got... I think it was the fifth or sixth inning that that happened, maybe. I... Yeah, it was a pretty crucial point in the game. I can, I can remember that. Um, I don't remember. I don't remember what inning it was. I'd probably have to go back and look at the look at the box score just to see that'd be kind of interesting to look back all these years later on that oh but, yeah uh, yeah it um well i remember i, I picked kind of where where we sat because um that was uh 2001 that was the year uh barry bonds broke the home run record and he was right he was sitting on 49 home runs at the time and so his next home run would have been his 50th home run and i kind of knew from being a Cubs fan that usually on days like that, when he would hit a home run, he'd kind of hit it to right center, but he usually, I don't think, I don't think he usually cleared the right field bleachers too often when he hit a home run at Wrigley field. So I kind of sat there and, and of course it was the front row. So we got to see, uh, got to see Sammy Sosa up, up close and personal. I've still got those pictures hanging on the wall there, but, uh, yeah, it was the ball was just coming, and and that's one of the things that you dream of as a Cubs fan, you know, just like getting to Wrigley Field and having a chance to catch a home run ball, you know that. Uh, um, but I I did I I leaned over to try and uh, try and catch the the ball in my in my cap because it was coming so close and didn't know if I was gonna you know ever have another opportunity to do that and it luckily it well, it, it bounced like right behind us and to the the guys behind us they i guess the way i remember the story is like the guys two guys that were sitting behind us they were they they were a little drunk at that point in time and so they couldn't bend over to try and pick the ball up so it was just kind of sitting there spinning in front of us right and, they uh they, they actually sat down in their seats and tried to reach under and yeah you can't you can't reach all the way back under and i just turned around and stuck my hand back in yeah yeah I, I didn't think anything about it i didn't know i was going to get all that stuff remember we got free tickets to a game the next year mm -hmm. yeah yeah uh, and they were really good tickets behind home plate yeah and yeah. uh i don't know we got some other things i don't remember all of them now but what i do remember about that story of course my buddy wally was with us and and he was always a, a quick-witted guy. Yeah, yeah. And as they're pulling me out, the ushers came and got me and pulled me out. And I thought, gee, am I going to meet Fred McGriff, you know? And, <laughs> right, yeah, uh, yeah. I was thinking all sorts of things. And uh, I went down and they, they told me I could have the tickets and they got my name and address and everything. And I came back up. And as I walked in, well, as I walked out, those four guys were just really giving it to me because I, 
in their eyes, I stole the baseball. Right. Them. Yeah. Yeah. And I got all the glory and they didn't get anything. And I remember I came back and they're all sitting on their hands, just really quiet. They're not even moving. They didn't say a word. And we got out in the car, I said to Wally, I said, man, those guys really shut up, didn't he? And he goes, well, yeah, while you were gone, I told him you were an ex-Navy SEAL. If they didn't shut up, you'd kick their ass. <laughs> and they believed him. They believed yeah, him. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, yeah, while, Wally's born and raised um, in Chicago. So, you know, I, he they, he probably had some of that, uh, the, those hometown vibes coming off of him. So they like, oh, yeah. they believed him. So Always yeah. did. Yep. Still yeah. does today. Yeah, yeah, he does. Yep. Yep. Yeah, he was one of the... Uh, greatest friends i ever had in life i think yeah yeah well Between him and john duplissus i wouldn't want to flip a quarter so <laughs> yeah yep yeah, two uh two really good really good men really stand-up gentlemen there yeah i uh um so kind of switching gears back here um we'll do this uh this last question here and then kind of kind of wrap it up um i i do this podcast for for young men in the in the world today that are kind of kind of down on on life and down on the world and they they've kind of had a, a cynical attitude and they're you know maybe they're at the point of kind of not necessarily giving up on life but just at the point where they don't feel like taking action and growing themselves would be would be a useful endeavor so for that young man out there who's listening who's um, kind of feeling cynical towards life and and just kind of frustrated with what's what life has dealt him kind of and i know you've you've been um kind of at this point too in your life from um stories that you've told me kind of um what would what kind of advice and and action steps and encouragement would you give to a a young man in that situation kind of similar similar to the situation that you were in when you uh when you joined up with the navy well i don't know that There was a recruiting slogan for the Marine Corps way back before you were born, when I went in the Navy. And what it was is we never promised you a rose garden. Mm -hmm. And that's just like life. So if you think life is terrible and you hate where you're at, of course, if you're married, it might be different. What are you doing there? Yeah. Uh, I, I've told, uh, you know, a lot of people, it's like, just, just go somewhere and see something else. You haven't seen the world yet. What's working around you here in, in this Nashville, let's say, for instance, that's behind you. Mm-hmm. It's totally different than what's going on in LA. Totally different than how people live in Tokyo. Completely different on how people live in India. You, you, you need to get out and you need to see some of those things. And I, I was lucky, lucky enough uh, in my lifetime, uh, being embedded with the Marines, I was always moving mm-hmm. and uh, around the world three times in 17 countries. I, and I always tried to take in what was there. And, and uh, after a while, and again, Major Pate comes back, you just need to see how these people live. And then you're going to understand how they think yeah yeah and once you understand how they think then you're gonna you're gonna start to begin to how realize how the world really works doesn't work the same as it does in nashville right right 
So that that's that's my advice. Get get off your butt and do something different. Do something that you want to do, something you're interested in, no matter how close you can get to it. Yeah. I mean, you might want to be a, a big league ball player. Well, I understand that, but chances are you're not going to do it because the numbers are against you unless you're just astronomically talented. Mm-hmm. But there's other things you could do that would keep you in baseball and keep you interested, such as a groundskeeper, a sports writer, uh, a commentator. Uh, you know, there's, there's, there's just a, uh, that's just a for instance and it that works in in all sorts of life you don't have to work in that that dreaded drudge job that you hate and everybody hates you because you hate it and it's like get up and and get out there and see what's going on in the world and you know it uh yeah yeah construction was always a thing for me you could travel anywhere in the united states today and pick up a construction job you know Mm -hmm. and and that'll get you into an area where you can you can look at it and explore it and then and the money's not bad either and and sooner or later you can move on to the next place Mm -hmm. until you you find what you're looking for or I mean, that girl that you're, you're meant to marry may be in San Francisco and you haven't even been there. Yeah. How are you going to run into her? Yeah. So, you know, it's a, it's a life changing thing and, and it changes the way you view people and how they live and civilizations and what they go through. And it helps you be more tolerant towards, uh, uh, people. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Well, he is, he is my father. He's my, my best friend. He is Mr. Randy Waltz guest for episode number 20 of the M60 podcast. Uh, this most likely will be the last episode that I'll be going by the M60 podcast. I'm kicking around some name changes here. So, um, just, be on the lookout for some uh some big changes here coming in the new year for the podcast but uh, dad thanks so much for doing this i i really do appreciate it i i love you very much and sure uh, i i hope to uh hopefully um you know in the in the next uh next 60 days i'll be able to get out there and see you in person so yeah again. well that would be great i'm looking forward to that he is, uh, he is Randy Waltz. This is the M60 Podcast. I'm your host, John Waltz, and I will talk to you next time. Thanks so much for listening to the M60 Podcast. I specifically want to thank Mike McDowell and Scott Hassey for their encouragement this year and for being on the show multiple times. I couldn't have gotten to 20 episodes without your help and encouragement. I want to thank Wild at Heart for not only inspiring this podcast, but for Alan Arnold and Bart Hansen for being on the show. I've got some great guests coming up in 2021, and I'm going to go through a little bit of rebranding for the podcast, so be on the lookout for that. Have a very Merry Christmas, Happy New Year, and I will talk to you in 2021.